Well, hello, everybody. Dan Clarkson podcast. Dan Clarkson, Whitewater Kayaker, Principal Place in the Himalayas, but now in the UK. That is the introduction or paraphrase from the introduction of the early episodes. And it's looking like more Himalayan kayaking later this year. Pretty cool, eh? Whoop, whoop. And all that excitement, excitement. Right, what are we talking about today? Well, we're going to talk about the fact that I ain't got a cup of tea or a cup of coffee because I started recording this podcast a little earlier and I got waylaid on a telephone call and then an email. So I've drunk my brew. So we won't have any slurpy slurps. Right, this podcast started because I got a message off Mr. Corn Addison. Corn, if you don't know, is a kayak designer brand developer i'm gonna call him eccentric i'm sure uh really innovative in uh what he's done kayak wise you know kayaking waterfalls dressed as batman uh and designing some really tip-top boats not a plug for any of the cons boats because i have never uh, really spent much time in them but the reason I got an email off him is because he's just relaunched the booster and under his soul brand. And he wanted some photos of me in the booster. Now, I've never paddled a booster, so I haven't got no photos for him. Uh, but I have paddled a Riot Magnum, which I still use quite a lot in Bhutan, which is exciting because I'm back there this end of this year, fingers crossed. I paddled a Glide and a Disco, both of which I had to amputate my lower leg to get in because they're tiny. Uh, so, no, I couldn't help him out there. But then we got a bit of chinwagging going on, back and forth, back and forth, and I commented on his 303, which is a really cool boat from what I can see and my friends that have got them, because it's a boat you can surf in the ocean and surf on big river waves. It's never going to like win any awards for, you know, wiki tiki tackle flips in a sort of freestyle manner, but it's going to bring a bit of sort of slalom his surfboard is fun into your repertoire it's probably one boat that you can do both those things in quite well uh and a mojo because i was chatting with mega about boats and then uh colin designed the, the mojo which is an evolution of the sort of long slalom inspired surfboard inspired boat and that brought me on to the perception saber now i remember poof, when i was a wee teenager the World Kayak Surf Championships, mid-90s, early-90s, I think, first of Scotland, front cover of Canoes Magazine, had a couple of surfers on it, kayak surfers, and one of them was in a Perception Sabre, and one of them was in a Mega Jester. Now, in my sort of formative years, I used to surf a lot on the east coast and during that time I had one boat and that boat was different depending on what boat I had at the time but it was one boat that started up being a dancer moved to a magic boat which I thought was bobbins and then became my topo now topo is probably not the best surfboat ever in fact it's probably the worst surfboat ever but I had fun and I learned a lot about bango slides and back loops and getting a complete trolley in the soup but why does that matter 
Well, it matters because I was at Cape Bay the weekend surfing. Took me to Letman Rage with me. I was going to take my sort of perception pirouette, but I decided on my rage because the surf was small and I could catch it in the rage and zip, zip, zip around. And I quite like Kate and then I quite like Scarborough because Scarborough is a place full of memories for me. It's memories of family holidays, of grandparents, of the Grand Hotel, of the seafront of fish and chips. Are the two penny slot machines? I like those. But it was so it was nice to go back. But I spent ages wondering what boat to take. Yeah, back in the day, I wouldn't have bothered. I'd have just taken whatever boat I had in my shed or garage at the time. But after a bit of soul searching, I managed to get hold of the sabre. I say soul searching. That's not what I meant, is it? Plastic searching. A bit of plastic search. I got a sabre. Picking it up either today or a couple of days. Today, hopefully, if my car comes out of the MOT in a good way. If it doesn't, then it's not going to happen, is it? I got my C proficiency badge in my teenage years. But BCU, as it was then, BC as it is now, don't do the C proficiency anymore. I think it's like four star maybe now. Could be a five star, C four star, C five star. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, but I do remember being at Flamborough doing it, and you had to paddle. We paddled out into the bay, and this is before dry suits. You know, before I had a dry suit, this I would have been wearing like a Farmer John wetsuit, uh, Farmer John if you're American. Oh, well, I think we just call them wetsuits <laughs> in the UK. Uh, wetsuits without sleeves. I would have one of them on. I'd have had my dad's wool jumper on underneath, I think, and some sort of splash cag. Uh, maybe a neoprene spray deck. Couldn't remember. Paddles. I would have had a set of wild water paddles, aluminium shaft fiberglass blades, metal tips on the end. They were red, if I remember correctly. And we paddle that into the bay. We have to do some forwards and backwards paddling to prove we can. And probably some Eskimo rolls. Then we have to do some X-Rescue, T-Rescues, Self-Rescues. Stuff like that. And a bit of rock hopping. I like, really like rock hopping, which is probably why I'm going for a plastic boat as well some a composite boat. Because I really like rock hopping. I like that sort of feeling of certain death as you hurtle towards a cliff, you know with the water and if you flip which I have done many times you end up getting a face full of jaggedy rocks so and then, yeah, this super efficiency and then we did a bit of surfing into the bay making sure you got off the wave before you smacked into the rock then you carry your boat up all the steps a cup of tea in the cafe and a bit of cake following morning a couple of questions were asked by the examiner Coach. A guy called Ron Reimer. Loved Ron. Sadly passed away years ago. Uh, showed me the delights of uh, Linton Ladders for kayaking and whitewater swimming. Uh, Captain's Garden at Plums, remember? Ron, uh, proper, again, eccentric, but did show me as a, 
a youth that there was more to life. Him and Marianne Spender, a guy called David Gent, that was more to life than the kayaking that I was seeing in front of me. And as the years progressed, I did a lot more sea kayaking, did some sea trips. I've done sea trips in Morocco, done sea trips in, in Thailand. Quite like it. But one boat. One boat. And now there's a plethora of boats, isn't there? They have a plethora of uh, customizable surf machines. We have a plethora of white water boats. Boats for every occasion. We have boats that are really good at steep creaking. You know, boats that will fall off 40 foot waterfalls with ease. I mean, most stuff will fall off with ease. You know, it's gravity in it, for goodness sake. But they like to navigate really steep stuff really well. Uh, when you, I think when you go up to like 80 foot, you probably want a boat that's not got a huge rocker on it because you don't want that whiplash on your spine. But I'm too old for that malarkey now. And we've got boats that are really good for river running. And they're not the same boat necessarily. You know, like a boat that's really good at running steep is not necessarily a boat that's really good for general river running. You know, we've got boats that are amazingly good at playboating, but are shocking at river running. They're slow, they turn too quick. You know, the spin on it. We've got boats that are really, really good at towing. You know, towing on moving water, loaded full of gear, but are abysmal at the other stuff. And somewhere in the middle, there's a compromise for what you want out of your boat. And I think this is a part of the podcast, really, because every boat you buy, there's a compromise. There's a financial compromise. You know, can you afford to buy that boat, new second hand? What are you sacrificing in your life to make that purchase? There's a compromise on the benefits, uh, the risk and reward of using that product. You know, if you are the kind of person that has multiple boats, not looking at myself because I've got loads, then how does that sit? You know, do you get value for money out of those products? Can you even value, can you even put the emotions that you get out of kayaking in a monetary uh, formula? You know, your boat, if you're buying new, say it's a grand more, do you get that grand back emotionally? You know? I'm not saying you do, I'm not saying you do, because that's what it's about, isn't it? Kayaking is about emotion. Unless you're competitive, in which case it's about winning. But, there's probably a bit of emotion tied into there as well. But for me, CAC is about emotions, it's about learning, it's about progression uh, on a personal level. So on a financial level, can we balance that off? Do we need to balance that off? And I'm not sure we do. But every product we have, every because they are products, every product we have, uh, there's a positive and a negative protocol. While I was surfing the other day, there was a lot of board surfers out. And I caught way more waves than the board surfers. And that's not because I'm better than they are. It's just that the boat I chose to take could catch the waves further out. And therefore I could surf past them. And while I was sat later in the day on the beach eating chips and drinking coke. I watched a couple of kayak surfers on the uh, North Shore at Scarborough. One of them had a, I'm sure it was like an inner zone, kind of inner zone. Or Z1, maybe, orange orange thing. So if you should be listening to this, let me know who it is. And uh, 
they seem to be catching loads of waves as well. And that boat caught those waves, surfed relatively well, from what I could see. I used to have one, I know how well they surf, relatively well. But I know that that boat can also, uh, in the afternoon or in the following day, can go and run some decent rivers. You know, one boat does quite a lot of things. It's never going to be very good at sea touring, you know, but you could probably put a dry bag with a flask and some butties in and knit round, you know, round the coves and stuff. It'd be all right. I mean, it wouldn't be like a touring boat, would it? It wouldn't be like a sea boat, but, you know, it's a good sort of balance, isn't it, a boat like that? But I've got plenty of boats, you know. Right, we've talked about boats there. We're going to talk about other stuff. You know, because I've rattled on for 17 minutes and just it's just folly, isn't it? Really. But don't you love kayaking? I do, I really love it. It's sort of it's in my blood. It's in my bread and butter. You know, it's, my, it's what I do for a living. I talk a lot about it. it. Takes you to magical places. And I'm not talking about magical places on the globe, which it does, but it takes you to magical places sort of emotionally. Every day when we set off on our kayaking adventures. And some of us paddle every day. And some of us blur on social media we're doing it, and some of us don't. Some of us don't paddle every day, some of us paddle, maybe paddle once a week. Some of us may paddle only once a month. Some of us may paddle less than that because we have other commitments that are important to us. But we paddle for reasons that we know. And our peers paddle for reasons that they know. And sometimes those reasons don't go together. I used to get all upset when I paddled with peers and they were wanting to only paddle class three and I went to paddle class five. I used to get all upset because we weren't honest with each other about what we wanted out of our day's excursions. Similarly, if I wanted to paddle class four one day, someone wants to paddle class five, I'd be upset as well. But it's about honesty, isn't it? How many times are we honest with people when we arrange paddling trips? You know, because we can't really paddle solo that much. We do, some of us do. And some of us are at a level where we meet strangers in car parks. Now, we all know about my feelings on meeting strangers in car parks, and I think it's very dodgy and I don't like it. You know, because it changes the dynamic. Dynamics are important things. But what we paddle, you know, we all paddle for reasons that are private to ourselves, unless we choose to share them. Sometimes we don't even know the reasons ourselves until later in the day or maybe later in the year. Following on from the message recording and the little avenue of reflection about my youth, I saw a post on Facebook about a friend that uh, still dreams of going to the Stikine. I still dream of that. And I've been there. I've slept next to the bridge that roars and the yellow sign. I've struggled to roll in the foamy madness below Site Z. I've jetted through Tanzilla's slot. And I've taken out at the Talton Reservation. Driving back to Mama Z's Cafe. After three days deep in the belly of the earth. 
the stickering that drains the splatesi plateau all that adrenaline surging through you where you think of what possibly could have happened the possible failures you know the mistakes that were made the positive choices sleeping sans tent enclosed by the canyon walls cooking on an open fire talking to friends that drive back to Mama Z's hoping she's still open when you get there your heart's still pounding and the adrenaline's still racing but you're exhausted maybe too exhausted to even lift your fork needing more than one coffee to stay awake to finish that meal retiring again to sleep in the dirt and the pudding Took me a long time to paddle this to King. Three, 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 yeah, was it? Three, three, three. It was three occasions I went and paddled it on the third time. First time, you guys probably know, I've mentioned it in podcast before, part of the Triple Crown. I'll say for St. Mr. King. Skin was too high for me that day. Didn't paddle it. Second time I went, too high for my friends. We walked away. Third time, that's when I dropped in. I look back on Mr. King as like a crossing a Rubicon in paddling career. But there's been lots of Rubicons in paddling, just like there's lots of Rubicons in anything you do. You know, where you chase that thin red line and you fall off one side and it's failure and the other side's success. But how do we gauge success? You know, what I've done in my adventure life, because funny you said this to me, you eat, your adventure life and to me I've just done stuff you know and I'm pretty driven but I and there's a few ideas that float around and I'll sort of start doing stuff and one of those ideas will become prominent like at the moment people that know me people that care know that I'm doing a lot of running. Now, when I first started running, I bloody hated it. And I'm not a massive fan of it now. But I bang out ultras regularly. Uh, I cry a lot less than you would have thought uh, at the start. And I quite enjoy it. Although not as much as kayaking. But what I enjoy about it is not the running. I don't enjoy that at all. I enjoy the adventure. I enjoy the exploration. Because you can run from your door. And I'm blessed to live in the countryside, and I can run on trail. There are a few friends I run with, and I run solo as well. <clears throat> and there's a lot less sort of risk risk of death when I when I go running, when I go kayaking. But I get the same sort of emotional relay, uh, emotional bounce back, I guess. So emotional feedback, perhaps, is the word I'm looking for. Uh, after about thirty k, so after about thirty k, I tend to get sort of this emotional. Feedback that I get when I'm in a deep gorge kayaking, uh, except I'm not cold and wet as often because obviously I run in the snow and I run in the rain and I run in the wind. But I quite like that. And at the moment, I am planning a couple of Himalayan trail runs that have never been done before because if you're going to do something for the first time, you will, you know, you want to just do it, don't you? And it just so happens that nobody's done these runs before. 
And uh, I've seen nobody's done these runs before. I mean, I'm sure locals have been running up and down those trails, you know, carrying 400 litres of kerosene or somewhere over the last couple of millennia. But I don't know anyone that's done them. I think that's the word I'm looking for. I don't know anyone that's done these things. And uh, I might go and have a jaunt. A couple of little trips I want to do in the Himalayas where I want to run from Kathmandu uh, up over to up over into Dulikel and across ridge lines and paddy fields down into Sukuti and then paddle the Sankhoda. It'd be pretty cool. You know, it'd be a hell of a journey. I've got boats at the putting. I don't have to carry my boat. And uh, I think Dave Goggins even talks about carrying boats as a sort of simile for ultras. But no, I don't have to carry my boats my gear because it's all their way and it's been there for a couple of years now, hanging out in the shed. So I can just run and then get in a paddle out. Oh, that'd be amazing. And uh, I've got some stuff in Bhutan I want to do. Kayaking in Bhutan I, uh, is going to be really exciting at the end of this year. And uh, I'm open to have people join me on that. So if you're interested in Bhutan, please feel free. Similarly, uh, <coughs> excuse me, if my what's what I'm looking for? If my weather predictions are correct, monsoon's going to be nice in Nepal this year. And I'm thinking of a monsoon madness exploration in Nepal. Because I love paddling in monsoon because you get less paddles around. And I'd say you get less tourists around because it's bucketing down. But the rivers are stonking, you know, something like the Sun Cozy, you know, like 240k, 220k, something like that. The Sun Cozy trip, you need monsoon, you'll probably do it in a day and a half, two days maybe. I've done it in a day and a half. Uh, I quite like it. So that's a plan to go back and do that because I want to do it again. And I really like it, monsoon paddling. But we'll have to see what we have to see. And, uh, that's it. I don't have much more to say, but I want to check in with you guys, make sure you're all good. And uh, just have one boat, man. He says that I've been picking four more up this afternoon off mate, man. No. Don't have one boat. I've loads of boats. Buy into the fact that you need a boat for everything. But no, what I'm really talking about is buying into your emotions, guys. You know me. Emotions matter. You know, your feelings and your thoughts matter when you paddle. So make sure you've got a vehicle that allows you to do that in a nice way, you know. Don't get caught up uh, in the fact of what it is, what colour it is, how much it costs you. Don't get caught up in any of that. But just enjoy the freedom it gives you, you know, enjoy the spaces that adventure takes you. Because we all know that these spaces matter to us as people, you know. Because as somebody said to me the other day, you know, adventure doesn't need to be comfy. And uh, it doesn't. But I think what we really mean by that is adventure doesn't need to be emotionally comfy. Adventure can stretch us. And it can take us to places. And that's an amazing thing. And I'll talk more about that in another podcast. And I probably have in previous podcasts, to be honest. Have a lovely day, gang. Watch some TV if you need to. Drink some tea. Have some biscuits. Uh, I'm going to go down and have a bake or tart, I reckon. Right, enjoy. Ta-ra.